friends, welcome back to the broadcast. I'm your friend, I'm your friend and your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting on this Monday evening. So once again, thank you for joining us tonight for what I think might be a very uh, interesting and probably controversial episode of this podcast uh, broadcast, because we'll be talking about that one topic that uh, is verboten in almost all conversation, which is abortion, the A-word, as it were. And uh, absolutely, tonight we're going to be talking about this and exploring the roots of the abortion movement in the United States and uh, some of the characters who have been behind it. So I'll point your uh, your attention in the direction of a couple of great resources that will be the basis for what we're talking about today. One is a documentary called Maafa 21, which is available for, for viewing online, so I'll, I'll invite you to go and take a look at it. An absolutely excellent film breaking down the history of eugenics in America and how it relates to the abortion issue. We're also going to be talking to uh, a, a guest tonight. We, we have Reverend Dr. Clenard Childers, Jr., of the New Cavalry Baptist Church in New Jersey. And uh, he has uh, been talking and writing and, and speaking about this subject for a long time. He's at blackgenocide.org. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation, uh, needless to say. So let's let's go straight to our guest. We have Reverend Childress on the line. So, uh, Reverend, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, it is great to have you here to talk about this extremely important subject, and uh, it's one that... So many people want to avoid entirely because of all the contentious issues here, but I, I think we need to dive straight into it because, as you point out at blackgenocide.org, it is having such a devastating effect on, on the black population in America and, of course, in the, uh, the population generally as well. So, so first, we have just a few minutes here before the first break. Perhaps you can introduce yourself and a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a senior pastor here in New Jersey. We have uh, meetings in Montclair and Newark. And I somewhat was drafted into the uh, pro-life movement, as they call it. <laughs> but uh, it was quite shocking uh, to me of the uh, the information I had received back in the mid '90s. Conscience-wise, I was always against abortion, and uh, I realized that was the cutting off of life, disenfranchising a a person from the American dream is what I understood it to be. Uh, but I did not know of the systemic plan that is very much ingrained into uh, our government and our society of the targeting of African-American uh, children by the abortion industry. And so um, I learned in the 90s uh, basically 1,452 each day and unfortunately, that has increased with the new Alan Guttmacher report, which is the research arm for Planned Parenthood, of 1,784 a day of African-American children. And we make up only 12% of the population, but 37% of the abortions. So no question, that's genocide. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what I did was uh, I just made up my mind what I what role I was going to play uh, in the uh, struggle, and it kind of evolved from there. I've involved my congregation and uh, fellow clergymen that will uh, that are like minded, and we try to address this issue uh, in the African American community. And uh, to our chagrin and, and very much surprise, we found that the African-American leadership is very much aware but chooses to censor the information and is basically simply um, stating they've been 
compensated well to do such. And this was a practice of Margaret Sanger from the early 30s. Exactly right. Unfortunately, that's true, and this does go right back to the inception of the abortion movement from the eugenics movement, generally from whence it sprang, so we'll have to get into that history. But as I say, we're up against the first break, so let's take a couple of minutes to catch our breath, but we'll be right back with Reverend Clinard Childers, Jr. of BlackGenocide.org right after this. And tonight we're joined by Reverend Clonard Childress Jr. of BlackGenocide.org talking about the abortion movement in the United States, how it came about, and the devastating effects that it has wreaked on the, on the African-American population in America and, of course, in populations all around the world. So it's, uh, it's such a big issue to t- tackle. And, uh, Reverend, before the break, you were talking about how you uh, were sort of recruited in the mid-1990s into the pro-life uh, movement, and, and it was not something that you'd, you'd been concerned with or, or focused on before that point. But perhaps you can talk a little bit about that experience and how you came to start finding out about this suppressed information. Well, it was the uh, most grieving part of the uh, <clears throat> introduction into uh, getting the message out. I found that the uh, NAACP, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, the uh, Rainbow Coalition, Jesse Jackson, uh, Al Sharpton's National Action Committee, refused under, under no circumstances to put this on the front burner or to at least bring it to uh, the floor in their conventions. Uh, here you have a situation where 52% of all African-American pregnancies are ending in abortion. Ironically, the national uh, advancement of colored people was basically aiding and abiding the decline of uh, African-Americans by purposely censoring. And your listeners may, uh, and they need to know, that it is proper procedure if a, uh, at the convention, the national convention, if a, uh, a branch chooses to write a resolution. We got Macon, uh, Dayton, and one other branch to write a resolution suggesting that this be uh, an open forum on the statistics and the health ramifications on the on the African American community. By their own rules, the resolution is supposed to be read on the floor, and I'm going to repeat that. By the NAACP rules, that resolution that is submitted uh, by a branch is to be read on the floor at the National Convention. They refuse even to read the resolutions, let alone vote to see if they needed to be uh, put up for discussion or possibly even create a a forum in later conventions on this issue that's impacting the African-American community more than any other ethnic group in the country. So at that point, uh, if you follow the money trail, you know that the Nows, NARALs, the Planned Parenthoods uh, basically uh, lucratively make sure this doesn't come to the floor by the support that they send to these organizations. And so it's 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 uh, very not only grieving, but it's just downright criminal uh, and sinister for this to continually, habitually, and blatantly continue to go uh, to go on in the African-American community. And they need to be 
confronted, and that's what I vowed to do. And uh, since, <clears throat> I believe, 2006 or seven, I go to every convention with a team, and we're outside with uh, uh, pictures or uh, material letting uh, the uh, delegates to know that the convention is censoring this information, and that's why we're out here. Well, unfortunately so, but as you pointed out in the introduction to this broadcast, you, you noted that this is something that, that has been taking place, unfortunately, at least as far back as the 1930s, when uh, black leaders were being recruited to try to mislead their flocks into supporting abortion. Perhaps we can start going over some of the, the history of this and how it really all started to come together. Well, Francis Galton is the basically the father of eugenics, and, but it really didn't <coughs> get to be... Um, the power <clears throat> or prevalent as it is today uh, until Margaret Sanger, uh, who was a devout racist, uh, sought to take the idea of sterilization and abortion into dysgenic groups, as she called them, basically. Uh, her words were un unquestionably racist, saying that they were breeding spawning human beings that should not have been born. Uh, she called colored people human weeds. And there was all sorts of uh, different descriptions of the uh, ethnicities, and it wasn't always African Americans that she sought to either eliminate or sterilize. Uh, and so when, uh, in a letter to uh, Clarence Gamble, the heir of Procter & Gamble, uh, she basically said, we don't want to let on that we want to exterminate the Negro population, and the use of the colored minister will, you know, basically help uh, abate such suspicions. So, more or less, she at that, uh, at that time, and she was very wise, because she realized, with, uh, she said also later in the letter, that if you're going to approach the Negro population, that you had to be able to control or use the, the, the colored minister. But, it, 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 you know, it's ironic, it's bizarre, it's, it, it's crazy, but that's who the problem is today, <laughs> the colored minister. She would offer $500, I mean $500 back in the 30s. That's a lot of money. <laughs> but um, she was offering uh, prizes and monetary compensation to ministers then, that would basically carry her message of family planning. And, of course, they would be then seduced into sterilization and abortion, and um, they would basically uh, use the, attempted to use the colored ministers. But it still didn't reach the uh, desired result she wanted, but nevertheless, it had begun. That was the way it had started out. But today, if... The uh, well, let's give the example of Jesse Jackson. <clears throat> in 1977, Jesse Jackson said, "Abortion is black genocide. What happens to a mind of a person and the moral fabric of a nation that can abort a baby without a pang of conscience? Where will we be 20 years from today?" Well, when Jesse wanted to be president, all of a sudden he realized he had to get funding from sources that unquestionably had the platform of uh, abortion, had the abortion agenda. So he flip-flopped on his position. And uh, this is unconscionable to me. Uh, it's gross negligence of the worst kind. 
and he needs to be called out on it whenever possible because uh, at that time especially he was very iconic. It still is today, but uh, at that time here's uh, an African-American man that uh, was running for president and also during that season considered possibly to be Clinton's uh, vice president. <clears throat> uh, his name was being bandied about, and he was in that final analysis uh, of those who uh, Clinton was going to choose for a running mate the first time around Clinton ran. So we have to understand that uh, this undoubtedly could not go on and would not have been so entrenched, especially in the African-American community, if the ideology and the strategy of Margaret Sanger uh, of using the colored minister to uh, basically condone the practice, if, if we'd have condemned the practice and remained faithful to our call and, and called it for what it is, a murder, uh, this never would have been so entrenched in our uh, community. Well, that's right, and it's ironic enough that uh, just a couple of years ago we had to go through the process of watching Hillary Clinton receiving her Sanger Award and uh, and giving her speech in, in praise of Margaret Sanger and all of the disgusting uh, philosophy that she was preaching. And again, this is something that more people are coming around to as they start to look into the eugenics movement and how it has continued right down to today. But still, a lot of people are in the dark about Sanger and what she wrote and, and the types of things she said. And in Ma'afa 21, uh, it, it even points to some of her uh, letters in which she had talked about uh, how illiterates and poors and unemployables and other undesirables, by which she probably also included, of course, people of color, would have to be segregated on farms and open spaces to, to work until they were uh, strengthened in their development of moral conduct, etc., etc., and, of course, no surprise that uh, Hitler and the Nazis, of course, picked up on all of the things that were coming yeah. out of the American Birth Control League. So perhaps we can talk about some of those connections as well. Well, that's the shocking <clears throat> shocking fact that anyone, basically, this is not so hidden you can't find it out. Uh, it is not on the surface, but with any uh, digging at all, you can see that basically they're probably, uh, they tutored Margaret Sanger, uh, Paul Stoddard, and others tutored uh, the the movement of, and the atrocities that went on in Germany. And uh, we have to understand also that uh, we we a lot of the blood that happened in Germany was basically initiated and and and, and spawned <laughs> right here in this country from the eugenics movement. Uh, the Birth Control League was a global organization, and it, it was impacting. Uh, people, uh, nations, wherever there were people of color, wherever they could begin uh, their program. So here we have to understand that it's uh, when after, of course, uh, Hitler was uh, defeated and uh, the Third Reich was <clears throat> more or less destroyed, uh, the word eugenics uh, got to be a, a dirty word and birth control got to be even a dirtier word. Uh, when it came, especially when it talked about an ideology of government uh, intrusion. Uh, and so they changed the name from the Birth Control League to Planned Parenthood. And so uh, the name changed, but the, the players remained the same. Not one board member left. <laughs> uh, the same people that were there before, <clears throat> uh, you know, sprouting, 
these racist tirades and writing books on the detriment of uh, colored people to the country and to the world, we're still operating, but now under the name of Planned Parenthood. Exactly right. Well, we'll get more into that. We'll also take some of your calls after this break. So if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. Again, talking to Reverend Clenard, Childress of BlackGenocide.org, with more right after this. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And if you're just joining us tonight, we're talking to Reverend Clenard Childress, Jr. of BlackGenocide.org about the genocide that's been taking place for decades now under the cover of abortion and all of the history and statistics and all of the facts that back up the sad and oft-repeated dictum that the most dangerous place for an African-American baby is in the womb which is an unfortunate truth in this day and age, and we're going to get more into that history and some of the characters behind it. But before we do so, we have some callers waiting patiently on the line, so let's go to your calls. First up, we have Arthur in Georgia. Arthur, thanks for your call tonight. What's on your mind? Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Um, First of all, let me start out by saying I believe 100% that abortion is murder, period. Life begins at conception, period. However... I find very few people who can understand simple common sense logic and reason. And this is where I run into a lot of problems with people. And that is, first of all, I don't buy into any of the garbage. Like, Come on, the most dangerous place for a black child is in the womb. I would think that would be the safest place for the child. But then again, <laughs> what does a dumb, ignorant redneck like me think? Um but, uh, you know, I, I've been a firm believer that, you know, there's one thing I can't accept, and that's allowing someone to be victimized twice. And the argument that I like to use with people to see just, just where they really stand is you have a, I don't know, 12-year-old girl is molested or raped. She comes up pregnant. What is so hard about allowing this child to abort that child, because the damage done to her body by carrying that child full term is irreversible. But yet people are so diehard about what they want and what they think is right, they simply can't understand you cannot victimize someone twice. And I'd like to get your response on that, sir. And I'll listen off there. All right. <clears throat> well, the first part of your uh Basically, your comment on the most dangerous place for an African-American to be, uh, I did state earlier in the program, 52% of all African-American pregnancies in an abortion. So what should be the safest place has now turned out to be the most dangerous place. That's a sociological fact. Uh, and some people said it was ranting and that I'm a crazy preacher and all these other folks, you know, you know made all sorts of, comments without looking at the facts as a sociological fact due to the data. Uh, first, when it comes to rape and incest, there's no doubt that is probably unquestionably the most uh, <clears throat> painful incident that we can think of for a child uh, to be violated at a, such a young age. 
but, <clears throat> and I do take the position, you say you don't want to victim when I someone twice. Um, there have been countless instances since I've been doing this work where women who have undergone such a, a hard experience uh, did carry full term, and those children uh, have made quite uh, profound contributions to society. Now, I don't know these mothers, but there's two that come to mind very quickly when I was researching this, and that is Ethel Waters, who was the, <clears throat> the gospel singer that Billy Graham basically uh, commandeered for all his crusades. Uh, she was a product of rape and incest. One we can always attribute to to his creativity and 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 uh, his uh, contributions to the world was Michelangelo. Uh, he was a product of rape and incest. I am not minimizing the the, uh, the trauma and the horror uh, that a child, a young girl, would go through. But uh, I believe also that uh, the next victim, unquestionably, they would never have any. Uh, opportunity to um, for uh, for life itself, or for a decent life, or to complete the course of life and the American dream would be the child. Uh, just as you stated in your beginning, your comment: if it's murder, well, then you're murdering the child. You're murdering somebody to basically <clears throat> trying to uh, heal a very, very um, you know horrible and and basic traumatic situation. And I understand what you're saying, but to then cut off a Michelangelo, a Ethel Waters, a uh, a Kua Farrow, who's a personal friend of mine, who uh, basically is the first speaker I ever heard on the Negro Project at Margaret Sanger back in Virginia back in 95, uh, then she let us to know she was a product of rape. And uh, so we, we, we see that, indeed, many of these children have gone on to make, and this is just a few that's coming to my mind right now, uh, that have gone on to make great contributions and certainly um, have uh, been a benefit to society. Well, I think you're right to point that out, and it, this is a subject that came up a couple of weeks ago when we had Dr. Walter Block on the program and we were talking about this this very type of issue, and it does come down to a question of, well, it, does that mean that it's okay to victimize the, the child, who obviously has done nothing wrong, and uh, and is it okay to kill the child just because it's not okay for the, this girl or she doesn't want to carry the baby? I mean, it, it's obviously not an easy situation for anyone, but it is interesting people focus on debates like that, but not debates such as came up in the Journal of Medical Ethics recently where they're talking about after birth abortion. Why should the baby live? That's right, folks. The eugenicists move along with their agenda and we're still arguing about things that, uh, that have been argued about for decades. Anyway, we'll be right back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Friends, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here tonight talking to Reverend Clenard Childress Jr. of BlackGenocide.org about the Black Genocide and about the history of abortion in the United States. 
And unfortunately, as we were talking about there in, uh, in one of the earlier segments, this is something, this whole eugenics idea was something that definitely did not go away after the Nazi atrocities were exposed. And it's something that unfortunately propagates down to our current day and age. And I like to point to such things as the uh, jur- uh, Journal of Eugenics Quarterly uh, changing to the Journal of Social Biology in the wake of the Nazi atrocities or the American Eugenics Society just changing uh, changing names, basically, to the Population Council and uh, under the auspices of John D. Rockefeller III, no less. And, of course, the Rockefellers figure prominently in all of this history as well. And another aspect and another way in which the eugenics movement has continued down to our day and age is through the bioethics profession, which is increasingly playing a bigger role in determining the laws behind such things as euthanasia and abortion and, of course, infanticide. And as I alluded to before the break, the Journal of Medical Ethics recently launched quite a bit of controversy. It's a uh, British medical journal publication that published an article after birth abortion, why should the baby live? And you can get the uh, the uh, abstract online. I'll put a link to it in tonight's show notes. The abstract reads, abortion is largely accepted even for reasons that do not have anything to do with the fetus's health by showing that, one, both fetuses and newborns do not have the same moral status as actual persons, two, the fact that both are potential persons is morally irrelevant, And three, adoption is not always in the best interest of actual people. The authors argue that that what we call afterbirth abortion, killing a newborn, should be permissible in all cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. And this is the slippery slope argument that everyone has uh, been warning about since uh, abortion was legalized. But of course, that's just silly. People who argue that type of thing are just ridiculous. But here it is in black and white in the pages of the British Medical Journal. This type of debate has been going on for some time and is gaining more attention and unfortunately more steam as the years pass on. The eugenics agenda continues apace. So, Reverend Childress, Let's talk a little bit about bioethics and the types of arguments that they're coming up with to really expand the scope of this genocide. Well, just as scary as that is palliative care for our seniors, it's mirroring the same mindset as we have towards our our children. Um, is this social engineering at its at its worst? And by the way, uh, even during Nazi Germany, a German woman could not get an abortion. Uh, they found that the Germans said that's immoral. <laughs> so we have to understand that we've really gone beyond in many instances of some of the horrid practices of the uh, Third Reich and the atrocities that were, that went on during that regime. That we we're just we're we're mirroring the same things in some instances that are, are more heinous. Um, <clears throat> partial birth abortion. Uh, your listeners may not know, but uh, it is sad to say that the practice, uh, Doe versus Bolton, which is right after Roe versus Wade, basically said you can kill a child throughout all nine months. I know in certain states that is uh, not practice. I forgot what those states were, but they're minimal. But in most states, uh, throughout all nine months, and they say, well, I thought you couldn't do partial birth abortions. No, you couldn't do a certain procedure. They just changed the procedure, and, and, and it's even more heinous and more uh, <clears throat> torturous than before. And we have to understand that this concept, this mindset, this consciousness has made America a death culture. 
in his diminished life where you could even have such journals, uh, such talk that's going on in that British journal that you, you mentioned. We have in this state, uh, you know, one of the most heralded schools in the country, Princeton University, but yet there's a professor, a Peter Singer, uh, and that teaches in Princeton that a child isn't viable till like they're around two, three, possibly four years of age. <laughs> this is going on in academia. So we as a nation are in big trouble, and we have to understand that uh, we have more or less had our eyes darkened to these uh, terrible this intrusion, and, and it has been incremental, but nevertheless, it has now really gotten to the point where it's it's gone beyond um, the uh, scale that I would ever think a nation that says in God we trust or was birthed on the Judeo-Christian ethic. So we have to really turn this thing around. Uh, also, our Declaration of Independence says our rights come from God. And that's why in 1973 they said, well, we don't know when life begins. Well, you know now, and it should be revisited. And we understand, according to our uh, Declaration of Independence, and really the Constitution also, because it said we not only want these rights uh, for ourselves but for our, our future children. That's not the exact word. I forgot the exact terminology they used there. But nevertheless, um, it... It, it's something that needs to be revi revisited, and the whole argument is God. America, there's an ideology amongst the elite. They want to be God. They want to socially engineer this world to the uh, picture and vision that they have what human life should be and how and who lives and who dies. And so uh, this is going on uh, quite more alarmingly than we really know about and and unfortunately it's something that has happened on our watch and it's something that we need to unquestionably address on our watch and when i uh mentioned palliative care uh, <clears throat> you have out in california there um judy brown who did an extensive uh study on what is going on in our senior citizens homes but it's you you, you created the diminishing of life when you allowed Roe versus Wade. Now, you're more or less just saying you've diminished personhood, the respect, the honor of life, and so this is now going into every phase of life that one, you know, basically, especially well, when it comes to the infirmed, when it comes to the handicapped, when it comes to the, you know, uh, to our seniors. Uh, this is. Uh, Probably it is it's worse than the third right. It's just a horror, and we have to address it now like we've never addressed it before. And and those who have a voice need to allow their voices to be heard. Well, that's right, and I think you get to the heart of the issue there when you talk about the mindset of the people who have been behind this agenda for so long of wanting to be the gods in themselves and determine who lives and who dies, and that's really the fundamental mindset that has infected uh, the eugenicists since its inception with Francis Galton, and of course the his intellectual prece precedents as well, but uh, we can trace that, that line of thought, that strain of thought, right through people like Lothrop Stoddard, who was on the, uh, the, the direct, one of the directors of the American Birth Control League, who wrote The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy, 
and who wrote about the white race divides into three main subspecies, and all these are good stock, ranking in genetic worth well above the various colored races, using that as a justification for getting rid of those colored races. And, of course, we can trace that all the way down through the, the, uh, the decades, right, to uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who in 1999 was quoted as saying, Frankly, and this is in the New York Times, by the way, frankly, I had thought that at the time Roe was decided, there was concern about population growth, and particularly growth in populations that we don't want to have too many of, so that Roe was going to be then set up for Medicaid funding for abortion, which some people felt would risk coercing women into having abortions when they didn't really want them. So again, this is this is something that was an ideology that has infected the institutions at the institutional level and has become so ingrained into our society that I think a lot of people just don't even see this agenda for what it is anymore. No, because it's very, very well hidden, and they plan on keeping it well hidden. It is a concerted effort, which lets me to know it's evil, because we, we can't get along that well to keep a secret. <laughs> it seems like there's an evil force behind it that allows us to continue, and uh, with every decade, you think there's going to be the uh, exposure of, of this of this lie, but it, it continually, you know, continues to go on, um, and with, even with this present uh, administration, you know, you can see the uh, the executive orders that have been passed, the um, the health care plan, the uh, the crazed uh, mindset of abortion on demand, and uh, all of that is basically saying we are the arbiters of life, and we will be able to uh, govern you if you just allow us uh, our means of uh, socially engineering this this nation. And it, it, it's evil. It gets down to the point. It's beyond just being wrong. It, it, it is evil. But uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, that's you know, if you. Your listeners can get my Alpha 21. Uh, I think Mark Crutcher, he's out there in your state. He says that's the smoking gun. Uh, I handed that quote out um, at the NAACP convention in New York, and people could not believe she said it, but there was no outcry from the media. There, I mean, that is a blatant racist statement. Now that she's the second Supreme Court justice, uh, Wendell Holmes, I think Holmes made, uh, he said, well, when he was uh, signing off on the eugenics bill of that day, I don't have it in front of me, but he said uh, three generations of imbeciles is enough. So she's more or less saying, you know, I had did a piece where I said, well, the first thing I would like to know is who is we? Because at that time she wasn't even on the Supreme Court, but it appeared she was already in those circles and expected to be a, a major judicial uh, figure because it's almost like a, a cultish thing. We thought, well, who was we? We thought, but, you know, they knew enough to know that such uh, a law being passed in 73 unquestionably would be targeting um, the minority communities, uh, which is populations that we don't want too many of. That's exactly her words. Now, when she did get on the Supreme Court, she is one of the most pro-abort Supreme Court justices of our time. So we have to understand that this is very much entrenched in our society, but we also have to understand that uh, it is still we the people so far. And we, the people, need to allow our voices to be heard and hold our elected officials 
accountable and move this up on the scale of importance. Right now, we worry so much about the economy and so much about food on the table. I know that's important, but what type of world are you leaving your children in? What type of culture? What type of consciousness? I mean, when we, and this administration wants your conscience, of course, in order to do what they would want to do, you would have to give up your conscience. But the fact of the matter is um, we are now becoming a nation that has a very seared conscience and a culture that uh, I think it was John Adams said that the Constitution Declaration uh, was written for a moral and religious people. Well, you can forget that now unless there is a shifting of a culture back to the Judeo-Christian ethic. We're heading down that slippery slope you mentioned, uh, head first and, 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 and speeding, <laughs> speeding more and more each day. Well, then let's shift the conversation to what people can do to really combat this agenda. And, of course, last year we saw some some of this starting to be raised again in, the, in even the mainstream media um, by the debate over the governmental funding for Planned Parenthood and, and things like that. Tell us about the debate right now and, and where things stand and how people can get involved. Well, Liza Rose, uh, live action, did an outstanding uh, job in <clears throat> exposing it, filming it, and still there's not enough outcry against it. But it's... You know, not everybody's supposed to go undercover, but everybody uh, has a, a civic group they belong to. Most people belong to a church that would, uh, many of the churches are getting more involved, many of the clergy are getting more involved. My sole job uh, out here in, in New Jersey is uh, galvanizing. Uh, we have a group, Metro Clergy for Better Choices, where we are trying to educate uh, clergy on the horror of abortion, what it's doing to women's health, um, which is the most ironic thing about this. They're claiming this right and it's destroying their health and their psychological well-being. And uh, there's uh, there's women's groups. There's I'm, I'm going to a, a a a singles conference in Phoenix, believe it or not, that's honoring me for the work that they're doing. And I said, well, who are these people? And they said, well, we're single women. We're waiting for uh, their spouses, and they appreciate the message that I carry. Well, I said, well, there is hope. <laughs> there is hope. And so, um, but they are attempting to educate women on the uh, the health ramifications of abortion and, you know, letting them know of the psychological impact in um, uh, a postpartum, what is what goes on after an abortion is something that, especially African American women, need to know. And the um, the high uh, miscarriage rate in the African American community is directly due to women beginning to use abortion as a contraceptive. So we have to understand that there's many means of getting the information out. Uh, being a preacher, I always quote the passage in Hosea, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And I said, you know, a lot of times in the church we think it's the devil that's going to destroy us. No, it's our lack of knowledge according to the scripture. And we need to inform each other and stop being, uh, attempting to be so politically correct. And for any African American listening to this, you need to go to your congressman and tell them that they have failed in representing your values and they have unquestionably uh, are guilty of gross negligence 
because for this Holocaust to go on, over 20 million African Americans since 1973, we only have 37 million in the country, and so and directly due to abortion, and we have to unquestionably uh, look at the uh, uh, miscarriage rate, the uh, psychological maladies that have resulted from women. These horror stories need to be told, and uh, it's something that we all can find our niche. Now, everybody's going to do what I do, but there is something you can do, and we need to be bold about that message and hold our our, our presidents, our senators, our congressmen, um, our assembly people unquestionably accountable. And if they don't reflect our values, you know, stop this Democrat-Republican nonsense sometimes. Does that person reflect my value system? And if he's Republican, well, then so be it. If he's Democrat, so be it. But whoever, if they reflect the values that I have, the the right to life, uh, the, uh, my uh, the, the marriage values that I have, and the definition of marriage remaining the same, those are the values I have. I have to make sure the candidate I vote for reflects that. Absolutely right. Republican, Democrat, or perhaps more importantly, other in this uh, in this day and age. But unfortunately, third-party candidates are always uh, such a long shot in this system that's been rigged against them. But at any rate, we will be right back with more to finish up tonight's conversation with Rev- Reverend Clenard Childers, Jr. of BlackGenocide.org, right after this. Welcome back to the closing minutes of Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. Of course, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we've been talking to Reverend Clenard Childress, Jr. of BlackGenocide.org, an excellent resource on a lot of the topics that we've been talking about tonight. And on that note, Reverend Childress, what would you recommend for people who are out there who are looking for more information on this and the statistics and some of the other alarming information that they can use not only to inform themselves but to help to inform others? What resources are out there for people like that? Oh, I have some great links there. Uh, as you say, thank God for the Internet, uh, that undoubtedly it is becoming the source for people to uh, get information and stop listening to the mainstream. Um, we, the uh, Life Dynamics, uh, Learn.Inc., uh, AbortionKnow.org, I think I have them all listed in the links on my website as well as um, if you go to theurbanprofit.org, I have some outstanding guests that I've interviewed and I tape them and um, Eve Silver, um, Douglas Anderson, um, Dr. Nadal. Um, if you go to that website, theurbanprofit.org. And, of course, there's the... Um, uh, the national websites of, um, oh gosh, National Right to Life has some good uh, reports on it also. But the for the urban community and uh, some of the frontline social activism that's going on in this country, uh, I have those websites listed on my website. And, uh, uh, and of course, Life Dynamics is right there in Texas. So uh, they've been uh, on the battlefield uh lot longer than I have and have excellent uh, resources there on their website also. So that's 
www.lifedynamics.com. So we're, we're looking. Matter of fact, he uh, mirrored my website, blackgenocide.com. So <laughs> I was first, blackgenocide.org. Excellent. <laughs> but he's a good friend. So. Excellent. Well, that is good to hear that those resources are available. So just in the final minute or so here, it, what, what would you say to people out there who are uh, maybe sitting on the fence of this issue, who know that there's something wrong but haven't really taken this up as an issue, what would you say to get people motivated about this? Uh, it's America's most egregious sin. It, it stands for everything that basically we should be against. Uh, where, you know, as Dr. King said, uh, it makes America look schizophrenic where we disenfranchise a segment of our society as uh, America is and that there is a war against our, the most vulnerable of our society, uh, a society where innocent children are being dismembered in the womb. Um, you know, no matter what, we have to remember there's still a God in the process, and there's just no way we can ever come out of the social ills uh, that we're experiencing and the turmoil we're experiencing as long as we continue to kill the most vulnerable and our most precious commodity, our children. And so uh, I would say that it would once again reinstate our our dream, our the vision that we do hold these truths to be self-evident, that all mankind is created equal, endowed by the Creator, uh, for to be able to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And when we protect the unborn, we will finally have uh, basically hold these truths. And we haven't held those truths. Reverend Childress, blackgenocide.org, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. Right, there he goes, folks. I hope you will go to blackgenocide.org and start exploring some of those links he was talking about and some of the information. Once again, it is all laid out there for you, so uh, I certainly hope that people will make use of that information. And as he says, the the Internet really has been a blessing in helping to spread the information on, on this issue and so many others. And on that note, we're going to be uh, finishing up here tonight, but of course I'll be back in 23 hours' time with another edition of Corbett Report Radio. I hope you'll join me then. Until then, thank you for listening and take care.